to find yourself in a dark room. On this episode of The Average Gamers, we talk role-playing games and all the realms we've visited. We also talk about some games that we've maybe played and then not really enjoyed. On with the show. Right, Lee. We've um, we've actually we we've actually seen each other quite a lot over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? We have actually, yeah. Like remotely, obviously, not uh, not in person. <laughs> remotely, not in person. <laughs> Just clarify that we're not breaking any rules. We no. do not break rules. <laughs> Perfectly within the letter of the law. Um, yeah. So we have seen each other quite a lot remotely, um, because we've been playing a butt ton of RPGs, haven't we? We have. Yeah, we've played quite a lot. Um... Crikey! I mean, I've been I've been in I'm involved in three as a player, and I'm GMing two. So yeah, I've got quite a lot going on. And you're you're in three or four, aren't you? Yeah. Well, don't quote me on that. So I think I'm in three. So we've got um, just to go over. So we're both in the Shadowrun RPG. Yep. Um, we are we're doing your GM in the Genesis um, Spicy Rat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's two, and I'm also taking part in like an alien one-shot RPG in a couple of weeks' time. So that that's not happened though yet. So yeah, I'm still salty um, about that, about you, being cut what, out of that one. But less said about that, the better. Oh <laughs> come on, come on! Right, okay. So what 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 are you? What RP, What other RPGs are you? Uh, in? So I am in uh, the Expanse, which is uh, being run by a friend of ours. Uh, I'm playing a, a Martian pilot in that. And I'm in. You mentioned Shadowrun. Uh, I'm also doing uh, a GMing Star Wars and Genesis, as you mentioned. Uh, my Star Wars one is about to kick off on a second campaign. I think we've just been discussing it in the last day or so. Oh, nice. Uh, and are you you're GMing that as well? Yeah, I think the the intention was that one of the group was gonna GM, but he's he's got a lot on at the moment. So I said, look. Rather than sort of, you know, you have a bit of pressure on you to do it, let's take the pressure off. I'll I'll GM another one. I've got an adventure book that we can go through. And, you know, it's, it's not a campaign I've written this time. We're going to do a pre-fabricated one because I want to see how that runs. I've not done that yet. All of the uh, campaigns okay. I've GM so far I've written myself. So, I mean, that that's pretty brave, if I'm honest. Like, so you started your first GM was just going in full on custom. I'm not, ev- I'm not even going to bother running one of these pre-canned books. I'm just like, nah, I've got a story I want to tell. Yeah, um, I, I sort of think maybe I should have gone with a book first. I don't really know. Like, it, in some ways, looking at the book, it can be quite restrictive, and I think you need that kind of a bit of experience under your belt to say, okay, if somebody asks me a question that isn't covered in this book, how do I respond? Whereas I think if I'd done it, I think I I felt that when I did, I did like a test session. We did like a one shot using like one of the beginner packs that the FFG do, and there's like you know it's got a preset mission and preset characters, and it got to a point where one of the guys asked something that wasn't covered in the book, and I I was a bit like oh, um, hang on a minute, I need to flick through the book, and it just kind of took us out of the moment a bit. So I think actually it was probably better to do things on my own because at least then if something comes up on the hoof, I don't need to consult a book. I can just sort of go, you know, I can make something up and, and work out the back end of it later. Mm-hmm. So I, I think actually, I think it's easier to do your own thing first from my experience. I mean, there do obviously people out there who probably disagree, but that's how I felt anyway. Yeah. I, I think partially you're right. I think there's also a 
kind of an ownership if you read through a campaign book you have to realize it's kind of like a rough structure mm. and it's all right to deviate from it like you don't have to follow it to the letter and i think from from a player's perspective because i'm not gm'd my uh, campaign yet i've got a couple in mind mm-hmm. but um i haven't gm'd at all yet like from a player's perspective i find um the ability to kind of adapt to those situations and be flexible like the best thing like just keep me in the moment keep me immersed don't worry about like having to break some very strict kind of letter of the law that some adventure book has laid down and and maybe that's the benefit of doing kind of a custom campaign is that you can you don't feel like you have to follow that book or be like oh if i don't end up in this certain place then uh you know it's going to mess xyz steps up in the future yeah you're not beholden um, to anything basically which is really good it's quite freeing I find as well, though, if you also, as a GM, if you're kind of reading through all of the narrative within the books and really understand the scenario and what the beats are and where you're going, if you are if you own that narrative, then it's much easier for you to flex on it. Mm. If you let the book own the narrative, then you end up in situations where you can feel unstuck and you're reliant too heavy on the book. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah no, I totally agree. Yeah. So... Let's let's talk a little bit about the the, the games that we've uh, the, sorry the RPG systems that we're doing. So let's let's start with sure. Shadowrun then, because that's that'll be a new one. Uh-huh. So this is being run by friend of the show Jay. Um, it's the sixth edition of Shadowrun, as I understand it. Um, and w- I believe yep. so. So it's by who was it by uh, Catalyst Game Labs. So. If anyone's interested in looking them up, never heard of them before this. No, but I mean, Shadowrun's um, been going a long time. It's on its sixth edition. I, I was speaking to a friend of ours um, separately and told him about this, and he's like, "Oh, I used to play Shadowrun. I played like second or third edition of it." And so we got into a conversation. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's been going a while by all accounts. Um, so anyone who's not in the know, Shadowrun is kind of set in an alternate future of ours. Uh, it's based on Earth and. Mm-hmm. As I understand, uh, around sort of the 2020s or something, uh, some sort of magical portal or some event happens that basically introduces things like magic and uh, fantasy races to the modern day. So you end up with like yes, metahumans, yeah. isn't it? So you've got like dwarfs, elves, orcs, etc. The kind of usual fantasy tropes, but it's in a cyberpunk setting. So, which is pretty awesome if i'm honest like i love the idea of the setting in the background mm. like it really appealed to me as like i'm big into my sci-fi so kind of that ghost in the shell meets fantasy world it almost like for me if if you can encapsulate anything that i've seen it's that kind of bright yes. film with will smith in on netflix yes. like it really had that kind of like and what i like about it is the low fantasy setting so grounding it in oh you're still on earth you still got these continents that you know about mm. You kind of know what cities roughly look like. You don't have to. It's not high fantasy. Sometimes that's great, but this is kind of like you can get stuck into where you are and kind of what your characters can do a bit more easily. I think. Yeah, I really like that because, like, I mean, it, a prime example of that was during our sort of first session where we we were tasked with retrieving a scientist. Is he a scientist? Yeah, scientist from uh, his sort of his study. Professor that's McKay. It, yeah. McKay. Or Mackie, is it? Is it McKay? Yeah, Mackie. I can't remember the exact uh, intonation of the word. But he is he's basically at one of the universities. So we were like, oh, hang on a minute. Got up Google Earth. And like we look, we could be basically the maps are done for you. Like, you know, Jay doesn't actually have to pre-generate yeah. any maps or, or find any maps because 
he can look at real world locations, which I think is quite cool in a way because we were sort of looking at okay, so we can see the there's the park uh, car park at the back of the building. We can see how open it is, and obviously there might be changes given yeah. this set in the future. But for the most part, you at least get an idea of what things are going to look like. So yeah, I quite like that. It's quite a handy thing. So what kind of character are you playing in Shadowrun then? Well, so I chose, uh, yeah, I've always liked the kind of character generation side of things. And I wanted to play someone, um, someone different. I didn't want to be, so there's like, I guess within the game, there's lots of like teched up people who are like augmented using cybernetics and using lots of technology. Um, But actually I've gone for a relatively low tech or zero tech character build. Um, um, I looked at kind of like Maori Polynesian style warriors and when actually I want to build someone around that. Um, and I said, Hey, w- what happens if I took like an orc archetype and put that into this kind of Polynesian kind of Maori background setting mm-hmm. and how could I make that work? And so, yeah, so I came up with this guy called Agnar. Uh, he's this kind of orc from this clan. Who's been kind of like seeking out his, his clan's artifacts that have been, uh, pillaged and, and kind of like sold around the world through many kind of different wars. So he's on this kind of big journey himself to kind of reinstate his kind of clans and family's name again. That's really um, cool. and this is something that all orcs do at that kind of age in their life. So he's still quite relatively young. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I wrote this kind of background, but as I was starting to play him, I was like, actually, you know, this guy is very strong in his beliefs. Like, you know, he's kind of, he's quite grounded to the earth. I'm going to make him a vegan. <laughs> <laughs> like, so like, I think it's uh, one of the things when we were on the way to pick up this guy, I was like, do you know what, I'm going to stop by a pizza shop and, and order a vegan pizza. And it just kind of escalated from there. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that I start kind of punching people to death with these kind of like, aug- not augmented fist. I'm a, I'm an adept, so partial kind of like magic user channeling energy to like improve my combat abilities or my kind of physical or mental attributes. Um, so yeah, typically I, I, my character runs around just punching people in the face <laughs> um, or, or kind of breaking legs and things like that. But it's quite fun to play. I've, I've got no weapons as in like range weapons or anything. So I'm solely at the kind of uh, disposal of you guys when it, when it comes around to kind of range firefights um, and I've just got to get in there and mix it up. But, but you know, I wanted something that was unique and different. I didn't want to play as I could have easily gone for cybernetic human, like looking at the rules. I was like, yeah, I could easily play as someone from ghost in the shell with like cool cybernetic eyes and loads of guns in my arms. But I was like, wait, Let's read the book and I want to play as something slightly different. Cool. Um, so that's what I've really enjoyed about it, is that kind of mix of fantasy and kind of sci-fi blended together. Um, and it works quite well. Uh, what about yourself? So who are you playing? I with? am playing as Gregor Skyscraper. Oh, Christ, I've forgotten his surname now. Um, basically, his nickname is Skyscraper because of his height, right? But he's a dwarf. Um, he's a dwarf rigger. So <laughs> riggers are basically, they're, they're not sort of hackers, in the traditional sense, they are more their their augmentics really allow them to interface with real world objects like vehicles. So he has uh, a couple of little drones that he uses for reconnaissance. He's also got a slightly larger drone that has an underslung rifle on it, which is great fun. Although I'm like, okay, I need to not go overboard on this because it'll become OP. So I like to use it now and again. Um, he he's he kind of he, he doesn't he tends to rely on his drones. He's more of a wheelman. So he's all about the, uh, you know, uh, sorry, being the getaway driver for the rest of his crew rather than sort of doing guts and glory himself. But 
you know, being a dwarf, he can he can throw a punch, but he probably can't take it, uh, or at least my dwarf can't. So, I, you know, I've I've got a an interesting thing there is like you know, because there'll be times where there'll be jammers up where I can't rely on mm-hmm. drones, so I'm going to need to go in on foot, and that'll make things quite interesting, I think, because he's not great in a fight. Really, he's got a, a decent pistol, but to be honest, he wants to be sort of further back. Um, you know, being the the guy in the chair, if you want to quote um, Spider Man. Where his, his his friend Ned is like, oh yeah, I'm the guy in the chair. Like that's kind of what I en- envisioned uh, Gregor to be, for the most part. I mean, it, but but it was great, right? You you turned up. So the first mission, all I can remember is like this dwarf turning up in this van, and and pulling up outside, coming in. Like we went in the front door, but we kind of met up with some of the other characters on our way mm. in. But all I can remember is this kind of wizard throwing this like massive fireball at your van. Uh, yeah. And like the van just like proper tanking its armor rolls and be like, nah, I'm just gonna like pretend this is some nice decal down the side of the vehicle. And it's basically, like, yeah, it's <laughs> just just beautiful. Yeah, it's um the the van has taken on a character all of its own already in only sort of two sessions. I'll, I'll get... <laughs> What's the name of the van? I've called it Gertie because I couldn't think of anything witty at the time. I, sh- I should have called it like Van Halen or something. You know, I might I might I might rechristen it later. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, it's I'm effectively I'm running two characters, uh, Gregor and his van. Um, but yeah, I mean, how, how have you found the system so far? I mean, the, I think the the narrative that Jay's written is actually really, really good. And he, he's a very good GM. I think he's he's good at kind of chopping out unnecessary bits. Um, and the, the actual narrative he's crafting is quite intriguing. So I'm looking forward to, you know, carrying on. But how do you find it as a system? Yeah, I mean... Okay, so as a, as a system, Shadowrun, I, I kind of like it. It took a, It's definitely one of the more crunchy RPG systems I've played. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a hell of a lot to kind of digest when you're reading the ball, rule book. And to the point, I did find it initially overwhelming. Um, and it took me kind of like several, I wouldn't say read-throughs, but kind of several iterations of going back to it and back to it and trying to process bits and pieces that are relevant to my character. And I think one of the reasons it's so like complex as a rule set is because it's trying to deal with kind of fantasy people who are throwing fireballs to people who are you know augmented up and trying to give people ultimate customization and flexibility in their characters to to, to some people might argue that's to the detriment of the game but i find like i don't know i i scaled my character in a way that i i can I know what I need to focus on when I'm doing kind of certain actions and abilities. It took me a while to get used to it, but roughly speaking, I've kind of got used to it now. Um, I like the combat mechanics, the kind of like when you're calculating any test you do, it's like you take your base attribute plus any special specialization you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of builds your dice pool and then you roll the dice and you're using D sixes um, and you're calculating the number of successes you got and a success is a five or more. Mm um on those dice and i think you then can spend like almost like the force it's called edge points isn't it in this system um to like boost dice and do certain uh, special actions and things but i'm enjoying it um i think broadly speaking as a team because we've not um played together before in that kind of setting it's taken a few sessions to kind of get us used to playing as a team and like who's doing what and when and kind of where our kind of characters are best and weak weak if that makes sense um but i i as a as a system yeah i don't i don't mind it it's it's got its flaws but i think um broadly speaking i think it's doing a good job in telling the narrative and the setting that we're in Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's not it's not bad 
Well, what about yourself? What do you think of the system? I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I think initially when I started doing the character gen, I was just like, what the fuck? There is so much here to like, and like, <laughs> it kind of, like you say, it's quite a crunchy system. So obviously they've, they've got to account for that during character creation. But I, I just found it, I was really getting bogged down because you actually have to physically buy all of your kind of ammo as well as your gun. You then need to select your ammo type. Then you need to buy it and... Rather than sort of saying, it goes down to the crunchy level. Okay, each bullet costs X amount of, of uh, was it new yen, isn't it? They use so each each bullet costs yeah. this. Each magazine holds ten bullets, and then you know, so you need to know how many magazines and what kind of magazine it is. And I'm like, oh Jesus Christ! Okay, so it's going to the real kind of minutiae. And for me, yeah. like I've only I'm only really au fait with Genesis and Star Wars. So, and that's more of a cinema simulator so it's a bit less about the crunch and more about the narrative so it's like you know you, your ammo only runs out when it really matters in in that you know if if, if it would cause a dramatic yeah. moment then yeah you'll run out of ammo but otherwise it doesn't matter you don't have to track how many shots you fired whereas in this i have to know how many shots i fired so i know when to reload and things like that which is fine it, it's just kind of a it's a bit of a new experience for me because it's like okay uh, it's it's still about the narrative, don't get me wrong, but it's it's got a bit more crunch to it. So I think the first session, after we got past session zero, trying to get my head around all of that, I think it's it's fine now. It's just remembering which... Because I'm, I'm used to having a... Q, I, I made a load of QR sheets and stuff for myself playing Genesis. So if yeah, I yeah. say to someone, oh, you need to do sure. a perception check, I know which attribute they need to use, etc., Whereas in this, mm-hmm. I'm still not over-familiar and I need to make myself a QR sheet so I know, okay, if I'm shooting, I need this many dice because it's this plus this. But yeah, I think, like you say, a couple more sessions and I think we'll be flying with it. I don't think it's going to be any issue. No, and I, I, I do agree with you. There is a lot of, there's a hell of a lot of complexity in the character creation and like when you're purchasing things. So in this game, you have to have like fake IDs and fake licenses. Mm-hmm. And if you get pulled over by the police the weapons that you have have to be registered. Like it's trying to really simulate that kind of like nitty gritty future where if you get pulled over, they will kind of reprimand you on certain things that you've, you've not kind of covered in your character creation. Like if you just want to run around with a weapon that's not licensed, yeah, you can do that. But if the cops catch you, you're, you're going to be pretty screwed. Mm. Um, and like all your cybernetics have to be like registered and things like that. Now they they could do a better job in helping people through that initial character creation. But I think once you're over that hurdle, it's really at the kind of uh, disposal at the GM as to how much he wants to push you on those things. Yeah. Like you can track ammo, but I guess in the grand scheme of things, like no one's going to check if you've reloaded between combat encounters. They're just going to assume it's a natural action. Mm. Um, that that you've done like you're going to reload your your drones are going to dock in the car they're going to reload you're, you're going you're gonna to have full mags and i broadly speak i do get what you're saying like oh i've got to buy kind of x amount of bullets and then once i've burnt through them i guess it, it's a good constraint because it can be a catalyst for people being a bit more creative in situations like it certainly makes um, you think about pulling a trigger basically because you're like oh this is costing me every, every pull of the trigger regardless of whether yeah. i hit or miss is going to cost me some money yeah <laughs> right and, and and just to give you like a comparison because obviously we're in we, we do the genesis one and we'll get onto that slightly uh shortly but like you know we've got people with unlimited kind of um quivers of arrows and things like that and we don't really track that and you could be like you know we've gone through this big 
kind of like journey there's no kind of like construction of arrows it's just like uh, we're unlimited you know like resources mm. i do get that it's more cinematic but it also if you don't force people to put down the bow and go into combat people are always going to use the bow and i guess like constraining ammo makes people think about that and yeah mate i don't know it's it, it's it's always a it's always a it's it's such an interesting conversation because you end up like it has to suit the audience that's playing the game. It has to kind of like tick some boxes for different people. And it's really like, that's what the GM's there for, yeah. right? Is to make those in, those calls to be like, do you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to say this happens because we need to move forward in the story or I want this kind of to play out and you to use your character in a slightly different way. If you're playing too binary. Mm. Um, yeah. I think um, that's interesting. You mentioned about shooting arrows I mean, you're sort of referencing your wife's character there. And like to be honest though, if I think back, she's probably only shot the bow a handful of times in the entire run of the campaign. It's only she's probably shot maybe ten arrows, a dozen at most. I don't think it's actually been that many. But I know what you're saying. Like it'd be interesting to put a a spin on it where you know. I mean, I tried to do that actually in our last session, which we'll come on to in a minute. But yeah, putting that constraint on firing arrows and such, or you know, making thing making people think creatively, which I think you guys are starting to do quite a lot. I mean. As we know, Tom thinks creatively about even the most simple situations. But yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I do like. <laughs> I mean, what? What? Sorry, go on. No, no. So what? I, what I love about Shadowrun though is that like you've obviously spent all this money in character setup though on these on these bits and pieces. Or for for my my character, I've obviously not had that much money, but I've spent it on skills and abilities. We've set these characters up, but it's really at the disposal of kind of like Jay to help us shape who those characters become. Mm and their kind of own journeys. Like if he sees that you're using your drone too much, he should just take control and be like, actually in this combat encounter, I'm just going to have some guy absolutely trash your drone beyond repair yeah. and you have to buy a new one. Yeah. So yeah, it's true. like, or, or for me, if I become too, you know, punchy and that's all I'm doing, then he'll get one of my arms ripped off. So I have to have like a cybernetic enhancement, mm. which goes against my personal belief. And I have to adapt to that as a character. And that's the stuff that I, I personally enjoy doing in an RPG. I like those situations being there and you have to like change your character. Like the character you started as a uh, start start as shouldn't be the same one you finish as. Otherwise you've not done enough storytelling to help that character progress. Yeah. I mean, that's my, that's my kind of like personal experience and playing through things like um, I have in the past, I'm talking many years ago, playing things like the um, Cthulhu RPG mm-hmm. Like you are basically, you know, your characters are, are on borrowed time. You're like librarians and kind of <laughs> like, um, you know, uh, bootleggers or, you know, like journalists. You know that you are not going to survive too much exposure to these elder gods and you're slowly going to go more and more insane. So you kind of get used to your characters just going mad and you will lose them eventually. Yeah. But it's that narrative and like how long can you hold on to that person for and how does it shape who they become? Mm. And that's what I really like in kind of the the RPG setting. Cool. Um, but that, that that that's I guess um, <laughs> probably too much detail. But should, should we talk a bit about Genesis? So, well, broadly speaking, in Shadowrun, like we're really enjoying it. I think hats off to Jay. He's done a fantastic job in kind of like um, doing all of the narrative. Like, and he's really good at improv. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised that that whole scene in the van in the back of the van when we're quizzing. Oh, him, yeah. He just didn't. He didn't. He didn't blink really. Like. And I spoke to him afterwards because I was like, how much of that? And he's like, no, I was just improving all of that. But it felt because he was responding so quickly to it. It felt like he was 
in control of yeah, that character yeah. and he really knew what he wanted that character's interactions for us to be like if that made mm. sense yeah no definitely he's he is very good at improv actually yeah i think that's that's the best way to sum it up he, i i wouldn't have known if he'd gone off script at any point like <laughs> so um yeah you want to talk about genesis then so uh, we've mentioned it many a time in previous episodes, but Genesis is the narrative dice system by Fantasy Flight Games. It actually it is the, I guess, the second iteration of the Star Wars RPG, if that makes sense, although they are very similar to the point where they are the same, to be honest. Um, so it uses a bit more, it's more of a cinema simulator, I guess, or movie movie storytelling simulator. It's less about crunchiness, um, and more about you know what's the kind of what would happen here you the way the dice work is you you assemble your dice ball of proprietary dice because it's fantasy flight games um you roll them and i think you you summed it up you said uh, it's like scrying bones you basically look at the symbols that are left because certain symbols cancel other ones out and then what's left over is the outcome and that could be like a sliding scale of you know yeah you've you've passed with flying colors to you've failed but it's not been all bad because you've actually gained the advantage somehow through that failure and, and things like that. So it can be, you can craft quite an interesting story out of, out of your mm-hmm. dice outcomes. Um, so in this particular one we've been playing lately, cause I did, we did wrap up our first uh, star Wars campaign quite recently, about a month ago. Um, but this one in particular that we've been running with Genesis has been running for two years now on and off, I guess. You're joking, is it two years? I think it was, because I bought, uh, I picked up the models back at the Expo in 2018, I believe. So it'll be two wow. years this year. So, I mean, but then, you see, it's not like we've been playing week in, week out for two years. It's We've played, yeah, it's I mean, true. the last session we did before yesterday was eight months ago. So that's how infrequently we play. Yeah, it just, it, it hasn't fallen on the right kind of dates to organise things, has it? So it's been a bit prolonged, but it's it's been great to finish off that kind of, narrative arc yeah um of derek the giant derek wizard giant. for those of you familiar with our previous episodes of the <laughs> podcast um where we talk about derek and his uh you know wizarding ways hmm. um but i've really enjoyed you know the genesis system i think it's great for what what it does i think it definitely focuses more on the storytelling aspect hmm. i like that that um it's not as binary um, in that like success and failure is often captured in a lot of RPGs. Yeah. I like the threat and advantage um, aspect of things. So for those of you unfamiliar with the system, um, when you're rolling your dice, you've got a bunch of symbols that mean different things. Um, for each good symbol, there's always like a counter bad symbol. So it's probably easier to, to explain it that way. So you've got success and failure. You've got advantage and threat, and you've got triumph and despair. I yep, believe. Despair. Um, so you, yeah. So the basic ones are obviously success and failure. Advantage is like something good happens. Um, threat is something bad happens, um, and despair is like really bad. Like something's really gone wrong, and triumph is like, you know, the heroic movie moment that you know someone miraculously pulls a rabbit out of a hat and you manage to get out of a situation that you were never going to survive in the first yeah. place. Um, so I, I like that. I think it does make it a bit more complicated in, in terms of calculating kind of uh, each role, but I would say the kind of apps that are available and the tools that we used in the last mm-hmm. session, fantastic for that and made it a hell of a lot easier for me to calculate 
hey, I just need to do this, and I'll click this button, roll the dice, and it'll tell you exactly, calculate exactly mm. what the result is. So it just say, oh, two success, one threat, and that was great. So it kind of like streamlined that experience, and I, I think it helps streamline play a bit. People are able to make some faster decisions and kind of move Definitely. forward a bit, which is always the 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 kind of like challenge I I feel as a player, GMs must feel sometimes is like, how do I move this on? How do I get players yeah. kind of like ticking forward and, and just looking at people going, oh, this is clearly not working well for Joe Bloggs over there. He's been waiting 40 minutes to make a decision on what pizza to <laughs> order. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like it's been great. I think the, I like that you kind of set it in this kind of universe called Genaria, <laughs> um, which kind of encapsulates all of this kind of melting pot of fantasy worlds and scenarios that you could potentially do with it um which is great because it just gives you so much flexibility it's such a great tool box mm. to be able to be like hey we can go and do this adventure and you can be fighting frost trolls or hey we can go and do kind of like i don't know something over here in a sci-fi world if you wanted to if you wanted to go through a portal and kind of like like there's so much there to kind of like hook onto um yeah it's interesting to see what kind of stories come out yeah of it. i wanted to make it so I, the reason i came up with it in that particular way was when i was looking at things i was like okay i don't want to be tied by like you know D and I can only use D and D models or whatever i, I, I don't want it to be warhammer mm -hmm. i can only use warhammer models etc i thought you know i'm gonna because we i was looking at it from a model perspective really because i originally envisioned that we would play this a lot in person around the table with models and battle maps and actually so that's why the why the setting is as it is it's basically oh if, if it if it exists in some form of fantasy realm or you know universe it can probably exist in generia as well it doesn't really matter you know because I've, yeah. I've got like my my dwarf is a caradron uh overlord from games workshop he's my character that i sometimes i'm like it's like yeah. a deus ex machina character for the for the party but then all of you guys i think are <laughs> using i don't know not everyone actually most of the guys are using D, &D figures uh one of them was a converted Dark Elf that I made for one of the players who since dropped, ah, um, and yourself, you it. using the Burrows and Badgers model. Yes, I'm using like a cat cat model from Burrows and Badgers mm. with like a sword. So aptly, he looked quite um, kind of Arabic um, in in kind of nature with the sword. I think it was the kind of like what are they called? Sim like the scythe looking got, it? scimitar. Yeah. That's the one. It's got like a scimitar, and I felt like he was yeah bit more representative of the Khajiit that I wanted yeah, to play. Yeah, um, an absolute bruiser. <laughs> absolute bruiser, um, which is which is it's quite funny to see um, when he gets going, yeah. just balling around all over the place. <laughs> um, but yeah, really, really enjoyed the system. I like kind of... And, and to, to be fair, like it's been great to do it without the miniatures. Yes. But I also think it is nice to use miniatures as well. I don't don't disagree with with the use of miniatures and battle maps i think that really helps frame things for where kind of certain situations are um and kind of like helps people visualize what's going on mm. um but if you start uh, the example i give is probably um in the last so we made a camp jay and i a friend of the show jay mm -hmm. and i made a cameo appearance in the star wars rpg yes. that you're running in the last one i think that there were too many models on the table from my perspective then and it felt like a war game. You had like 15, 20 models going on and I was like, oh my God, this is like playing playing a proper war game yeah. now. But if you're using it just to visually represent where things are, I think that's that's fine. And like, hey, look, this is a skeleton. This is what it looks like. Um, 
that that's fine. Like it gives people some grounding. It's interesting you say that. Um, I mean, so when yeah, you know, like I say, when we originally kicked off RPGs, I was like, oh great, you know, I can buy models and use them in RPGs, and it'd be great sort of justification for buying them, etc. And actually, I found in more recent sessions, it's a lot more freeing to just do theater of the mind. And I like, I still think, yeah, you're you're dead right that having models on the table to visualize certain things is really good. But actually, the more I play, I'm like, you know what? It's so much easier to not have to go, right, have I got a model for this? Have I got a model for that? Have I got a battle map? It's just like, if I need to, I can throw an image up on a screen. But for the most part, it's just easier just to describe it because then the only limit there is your imagination rather than your wallet or your collection. And Yeah, it's like, um, I guess it, it should scale based on the type of the encounter. Yeah. If it's an encounter with a couple of guys, you can just like, you can role play that. But if it's like a bigger thing that's going on, that's going to be more of a kind of set piece that you've got in mind for the players, then maybe that's where you roll out the battle mat. So I guess it's just like, as and when you, you choose to use those tools. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's, it's There's the right place and the right time for all of it, I think. So with Genesis, um, I think... So I, I mentioned it's more of a story simulator. And, and I use the word simulator loosely. It's not like meant to be crunchy or any way. But I, I do find, um, I've, I've found lately, that the combat in Genesis really slows it down. Like it is, it is, it's definitely the most crunchy aspect of that system. And so actually what I've taken to doing lately, and I, I didn't explain this yesterday, but it was like, I wasn't really worrying about like tracking, like, and this comes from that previous set piece where you said yourself and Jay made the cameo. We were playing it and I was trying to track all of the damage on all of the different figures. And I'm like, this is a nightmare to try and keep track of. So what I did, I'm just like, right, I'm not tracking damage. Now, if you get a solid hit on a minion, that minion's dead. I can't be bothered to be tracking that. It's, yeah. it doesn't need to be done. Like I'll, I'll track it on the big bads and like, you know, anything where it really matters. But I think, for a minion, you either kill it or you don't. And, and unless you flub your roll, in which case, okay, yeah, the minion's on its knee or you know, or, or whatever, you know, you've you maybe have damaged it. But I'm not going to be tracking down to the sort of minutiae of hit points. I think it's just for for things like that. And it, I think it it speeds up things a lot more because it means all I have to track is whether you know how many minute, how many how many bad guys are alive at this point. It's it's a lot easier, I think. Yeah, I think as well. You're right there. If you if you look at it in terms of the Star Wars one, you're doing like a stormtrooper takes a hit, he's down. Like that's kind of representative of the kind of universe yeah. anyway, right? And you probably if you're going to track anything, if you've got like um, death troopers or yeah. something like that going on, you can maybe make them more imposing and give them kind of the stuff that you track. The ones that matter, and that kind of yeah. makes a, a lot more sense. And and I guess yeah, it's I guess it's from a player's perspective the actions that I make or the thematic choices that I make within a session, I want to feel like they have meaning and impact mm -hmm. and they're not um, just seen as like shooting a gun. Like if I'm trying to push that kind of narrative, it's great to see how GMs react to that and weave that into kind of like what happens and the outcomes. Um, I've definitely in that respect, the more that I play RPG, trying to be more kind of thematic in the decisions that I make and be like, what, what was what would my character do in this situation as opposed to try and think tactically about what is the most opportune like what is the most effective way of getting through this encounter mm. um in in both shadow run and genesis and i think um i've enjoyed that more <laughs> yeah it, it definitely um, makes it more interesting than going okay so my bow does eight damage so that's going to kill this orc in one hit 
Whereas if I go and hit it with my sword, I'm only doing five damage and then I'm engaged with you. It's like that's sort of playing it more like a war game than it is playing an RPG. I think you would go with whatever your whatever suits the story. I think would be would make more sense. I think, and it's more it's it, you know rule yeah, of cool, think... right? Do do something that looks, you know what yeah. th- what would look cooler on camera? Me shooting another arrow into this guy, or would it be me running up and like drawing my sword and just like slicing this guy and having a proper sword fight? You know, it's that kind of thing. And Genesis yeah. lends itself well to that, although, yeah, the the combat mechanics and it can fall over because you end up. Like to give an example, like I think you said it basically. Like bows hit harder than people with swords, and it's like, well, that's sort of jarring. That takes you out of the moment a bit. And in Star Wars, the biggest one is that stormtrooper armor like has quite a high soak value. But if you watch any of the films yeah. or any I... of the TV shows, you shoot a stormtrooper, he goes down in one hit. And I, I've, I'm gonna, you know, it, it, it's been immersion breaking to see my guys like try and yeah. shoot stormtroopers and they're just bouncing off of it like they're bloody space marines with warhammer and it just kind of throw it yeah. just draws you right out so that's one of the things i think i'm looking to change and will yeah. be changing I, I think how do you find it in terms of the um managing kind of so so i guess one of the things you can do within genesis is that when you roll kind of advantage you can use those to change the situation or improve other people's kind of abilities and things like that but i guess one example that we had in the last uh, mm-hmm. game was that i found myself making a charge and i had like four boost die because people had given me all these advantage but i didn't know why there was no thematic reason for why i'd actually gain that advantage so i feel like i was rolling it and i was great to be rolling it as a player but thematically i couldn't justify why i i was actually getting those boost die there was yeah. no game reason does that make sense like i think and i think like, I, it's really hard to be so, no sorry, no sorry. Um, i think basically that that's partly a failing on my part i should have i should have got the players to say okay you want to give him a boost that's fine explain why or how and i, I was kind of i i guess I, I missed that really yesterday it was just kind of a i should have said to me okay yeah that's fine you can give him a boost but how are you giving him that boost are you you know, channeling a bit of magic his way to imbue his sword with or his claws with more power, or are you like using yeah. it to sort of distract the enemy to you know put him off off balance or you know kind of make it so he's not expecting the attack? You know, it's things like that. I should have been a bit more. You know, I should have been a bit harder on the players and say, okay, well, if you're going to do that, you need to tell me why and give me a good reason. So. I think that but it's fine to I, do. I don't think, but that's a learning. That's yeah. learning, though, isn't yeah. it? It's like just seeing situations unfold and being able to like. I know it sounds awful because you're basically telling people, "I'm not going to let you do that unless you can actually give me a proper reason to why that's happening yeah. this way." Um, and it makes people think a bit more about the actions that they're making. Mm. Um, and Tom's magical. Like, I love Tom's like ability to just come up with these random ass <laughs> things that happen in the game, like summoning a stairlift to help him get up 400 flights of stairs because he's managed to put on about like 10 stone in the space of you know what in game terms about 20 minutes yeah i'm not really sure where that came from but i mean it was it was brilliant yeah he, he basically summoned it's hilarious uh, he tried to summon a stairlift to take him up this 400 flight uh, 400 stair tower and he, he basically flubbed the roll and he made a, a fantastic looking uh steampunk chairlift but it just wouldn't support his weight it was basically how i how i how i how i gm'd that i was like okay yeah so you've succeeded but you've done it like quite badly it's like well yeah it's just not not good enough to carry you up the stairs and yeah this whole slinky incident and 
there's there's so many memorable things from that campaign that most of it has come from Tom, to be honest. Just the wackiness that he comes up with, the harebrained <laughs> schemes. It's it's been great seeing how different players react to different situations. Mm. Yeah, it's been it's been really good. Um, and like I say, it's it's nice to just play something different. You know, it's nice to be using a different system mm. and just to see how other people kind of um, utilize that as a toolbox to tell a story. Because ultimately, and that's what I love about this RPG kind of like um, resurgence that we've had in our kind of gaming mm. group is that is it goes down to the basics of why we're playing kind of things like war games or board games. It is ultimately, if you're playing a board game and it's got a theme, but broadly speaking, you're telling a story. Yeah. It's the same reason we play Twilight Imperium. It's the same reason we play kind of Rising Sun. There's loads, or Infinity. They're all just stories with more granular fixed rule sets and you've got your characters. But when it stops becoming a story and starts becoming just, you know, like methodical mm. um that's when it kind of breaks it for me. And I guess that's where you get things like, you know, chess come in. That's, that's a game, but it's not a storytelling game. And I think we all, we're all kind of immersed in this kind of storytelling nature, right? That's why we, that's why we enjoy what humans love to tell stories. Yeah. It's it's kind of the nature of of society, isn't it? It's based on stories, really. If you, (laughs) if you really look back. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So speaking of stories, then uh, the other RPG I've been playing in, and you've not been in this one, is uh, The Expanse by Green Ronin Games. So this uh, was a Kickstarter, I believe, that ended fairly recently. Uh, so our GM, uh, John, he is, I think he's running a PDF because he must have pledged on the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's based on the series, which is in turn, well, it's probably more based on the novels, to be honest. Um, but I've, I'm only aware of the series so far. I've only actually watched seven episodes of it now. So I'm, and he's running the story parallel to that series. So actually, it's been quite good because there's like little moments that happen. And we've had uh, we've had one session so far, and I think we've got another one in a couple of weeks. And like little moments from our session kind of overlaps, or we see things that would have happened in the main story, which is quite good. Um, so myself, uh, Kim, uh, John, Jay, and John's wife Kathy are all playing it. So we've got a we've got a bit of a ragtag bunch. Myself and Kim have ended up both playing as Martian characters. Um, so the history of it is is that Earth has, uh, sorry, the solar system's kind of been colonised. You've got people who live on Mars, uh, people who live on Earth, and the people on Mars are kind of all about like their greater good. They want to take things forward and t- uh, terraform the planet properly, and they they are kind of rich in power. Rich, but you know they they're more high tech than people from Earth. Although people from Earth are still fairly high tech, people from Earth are fairly sort of standard. And then there's a faction uh, out who live out in the asteroid belt who do all the mining and stuff, and they're called Belters. They are sort of they've kind of partially evolved now to they, they kind of live in zero g or low low gravity environments. So they're they're sort of physically quite weak and gangly, but they are sort of they're in their home environment out there. And so our kind of story follows on from a bit of that. I can't really spoil too much because uh, it kind of it does link with the story for anyone who's watched it. Um, but yeah, myself and Kim are both playing Martians. Mine is an ex-pilot who woke up from a coma with nothing to his name bar his discharge papers from the military and an ID. Uh, sh- okay, and and did you come up with that character, did, yeah. or was that something that you were assigned? No, okay, yeah, came with own character. My wife's character is uh, also she's an ex-spy, I think. 
uh, as I recall. Yeah, or, or detective. Sneaky, she, sneaky. She was a spy or a detective. I can't remember exactly which. Uh, and then you've got a couple of... Uh, Kathy's character is sort of a strong, silent type. She's... I think she's a mercenary. And then you've got Jay's character, who is a... I think he's a belter. Um, I can't really remember. Nice. It's, Typical Jay. I'm trying Jay. to remember back uh, about a week and a half he's ago. He's such a belter. <laughs> he's such a belter. I'm try, yeah, I'm trying to remember back about a week and a half ago. It sounds like I've been a bit disengaged, but I haven't been. I've actually really enjoyed it. And the system for Shadowrun's quite good, because it's quite... It, it it seems Shadow sorry Run or, sorry the expanse, the, the expanse. Yeah, I'm crossing my wires there uh, yeah for the expanse yeah. is is pretty good so it basically uses three d six and that's it every player has three dice um, you have two oh, wow. of one color and one of a different color and that one is your drama dice and that one is is kind of a bit like the uh, it's a bit like the red dice in uh, in Genesis it, so it's called the drama dice so if you sort of fail a check if you've rolled or, or even passed a check depending on the score on that particular dice can affect how well things go so you know uh, okay. the, the example that's in the rule book and which i'll sort of semi quote here or butcher is that say say you need to roll a repair check on the spaceship you know because you know you're venting atmosphere and stuff so you need to repair this hole sure. if you roll a one if you pass your test and you roll a one on the drama dice yeah you fixed it but you you fixed it with you know cardboard and you know sheets of tinfoil Whereas if you pass it and roll a six, yeah, you fixed it and it's like better than brand new kind of thing. It's it's that kind of way of doing okay. things. Uh, that's interesting. So I didn't when you were first explaining it and called it the drama dice. I didn't think it it didn't correlate to what you've just described. I'd imagine it to be like if you're doing a check and you're trying to like defuse a situation, and you fail it but you roll a one, then it's like okay, you failed to defuse it, but it's not really escalated. But if you're on a six, then it's like you failed to defuse it and they have just had it with you and they're just going to like start teeing off on you. Uh, and well, they want you out of the bar right now. It's literally, and... Yeah, that, I mean, that literally is it, but it'd be the other way around. The one would be really the bad outcome and the six would be a good outcome. Okay, so, okay, yeah, it, it, that's how it works, basically. And it's, I think it only really comes into play, or either that or, or John is sort of only doing it when it really matters. Um, but... Yeah, it's been good because we've had a few instances where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, you've you've managed to convince this person to talk to you and stuff. And uh, yeah, I've I've quite enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know the expanse as well as I know, say, Star Wars. So uh, you know, getting my head around what's going on and visualizing things at the moment is, is starting to fall into place as I get further through the TV series. So I can sort of picture, oh, okay, yeah, that's the kind of that's the docks area where we were, where we had a bit of a, a gunfight or and things like that. So it's sure okay it's been really good and i'm looking forward to doing it a bit more it's just nice to like you say play in a different space and in a different system because i've only really for the last few years i've only known the genesis system <clears throat> by ffg so to play in shadow and to play in the expanse where they are using you know another couple of diff very different systems is quite nice and john's a really good gm as well like he does a lot of D D for i think he's been doing that for a few years and I found his GMing style was really, really good. He's very, very descriptive, and he he's, he goes like properly into character as well. I I think my I don't tend to go into character much. Um, I'm going to try and do that a bit more, but you know, it, it's all a learning thing, like you say. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed John's GM style, and it was it was good to play through, and I'm looking forward to a bit more. So that's that's pretty much all I can say about the expanse, really, because you've got no real kind of uh, bear on it, have you? Bearing on it. Well, so I, I've, I've watched The Expanse, um, the series. I think I got up to... I started watching season three and I was like, 
I think I'd taken a break or not really paid too much attention in season two. I think I lost my interest in it mm. a bit. But I did watch season three and I was like, what, what is going on here? Oh my God, this makes no sense <laughs> whatsoever. Um, I think you said it though, like that the challenge with the series is the characters are a bit forgettable. Like no one's really They're not very likable, are stands they? That's what and Kim and I said. Yeah, like, we just, kind of the the one likable character that we we both liked got killed off in like the second or third episode. We're like, oh, okay. Although <laughs> I'm start I'm starting to like it. Yeah. I think it's a bit Game of Thronesy. It's like not a lot of the characters are very likable sure. to begin with, and then you sort of fall in. You're like, oh, actually, yeah, he's quite mm-hmm. likable or she's quite likable, and bloody bloody blah. But yeah, so I, I kind of follow you there. Like we are sort of we're making our way through, and I'm I'm starting to get gripped by the story now. Whereas I think Kim's getting a bit disengaged by the Expanse um, TV show. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's gonna be good. But maybe it could be different. Like it's a good setting. Again, mm. what's nice about it is it's low fantasy, so you can still relate to what's going on, and you can be like, okay, so Mars, this is what would happen if you know Elon Musk manages to colonize the planet and build his own little it's society very much out there. Hard and, sci-fi. And then you've got these, yeah. So I don't know it's it's, it's interesting. I, mm. I think it's grounded. People can relate to it. And yeah, if it's got a, again, it goes if there's a story to tell then fantastic and if you can take people on that journey and get them involved in it then even even better so cool but yeah i've, I've really been enjoying the kind of rpg resurgence like i said we're, i'm going to be doing this alien one shot um mission in a couple of weeks awesome. so i'll let you know how that goes on the podcast um but yeah i'm looking uh, i'm really excited now i've got all, all of my kind of like brains going and ticking over and trying to come up with various different campaigns that i'd like to do in different settings so i'd like to do a fantasy one i'd like to do something in um kind of like arkham arkham's a weird one because the the card game does it so well do i want to double up on that theme um i I don't know um lots of ideas maybe a one-shot arkham would be quite fun to maybe do around halloween or something yeah, yeah, like a like a haunted hotel. Yeah, really, really short like one, a... but yeah, being like something that's quite fun. Could be a laugh for a Halloween yeah, party. No, I could potentially do that. Pretty sure you get a lot of people who'd be cool. up for that. Um, so yeah, we've kind of crikey, we've rambled on for about nearly nearly an hour. Um, so what else have you been playing lately, Adam? Like other than RPGs. Um, so whilst remote, we've actually managed to get some Arkham Horror, the card game, working. Cool. Uh, broadly speaking so we we've got our own decks um what i do is i or last game darren took a friend of the show darren Mm -hmm. took some pictures of the the kind of one shot scenario we were doing um i put those in like an online whiteboarding session like their tool um and we were able to basically run the whole story through that which was great um so we did murder at the excelsior hotel um which is a really interesting one shot because it's not really it's designed to be quite flexible and um, it has lots of different narrative arcs mm-hmm. based on the characters you engage with and what murder weapons you find and things like that. So I think there's about 20 to 30 different outcomes, um, cool. which is quite quite cool to see. Um so that that was good though, and it was great to see us progressing with some Arkham. I've downloaded Tabletop Simulator as well, and I'm hoping to get a couple of the Forgotten Age uh, cycles uploaded into that so we can run and continue to do our campaign. Awesome. Which would be fantastic uh, to do online. Um, so, yeah, I've played that. The other thing that I guess I've picked up a few more board games. I bought Azul, mm-hmm. 
um, and Imperial Settlers. Uh, we have not played Imperial Settlers yet, but we played a game of Azul last weekend. That was really good fun. Um, quite, it's in, it's an interesting game for me because it kind of lacks a theme. I would it's say quite abstract, isn't it? Um, is very abstract to the point where it's the, it like you could delete that theme and put a theme on top of it and it would still play this like the same game mm. broadly speaking um but it was enjoyable it's one you can definitely see why people like it and why people maybe use it as a relatively easy game to introduce to new players mm. into kind of different board games hey you don't need to play monopoly you could try this other game called Azul, and it's like tiles and it's quite nice and it's it's again it's a bit like photosynthesis it's got a lot of passive aggressive decisions you can make about like blocking people yeah. so a lot of it is like trying to complete your tile board but also making sure that you deny other people their tiles that they're after cool. and if you don't do that then they'll just keep on scoring as well so yeah it's a it was an interesting game definitely we'll play it again um we'll give it a go when quarantine is over with you guys mm. um and probably try and play it with my parents and stuff so yeah um enjoyed that we'll hopefully get round to playing some imperial settlers later this week cool um but yeah i think that is about it we have been playing so many rpgs though mm. that that has been the focus for the last couple of weeks what about yourself what have you been playing outside the world of gm <laughs> and, and falling asleep during shadow run yeah yeah i was so tired that day um so yeah, my, uh, Kim and I, we, we uh, like I said a few episodes ago, we picked up Marvel Champions and we had a second crack at that. We finished, we, we defeated the Rhino, so we thought this time we'll take on uh, Claw. Uh, is, it, is it Ulysses Claw? I can't remember his full name. So anyway, uh, yeah, we set up with that. We First of all, we were like, okay, let's use some different heroes. So I picked Iron Man because he's one of my favourites. Uh, Kim picked Black Panther because she thinks he's really cool. And... We got our asses handed to us a uh, couple of times. Yeah, oh, we really? had like three attempts and we were just like, oh, this is not working out here. We are we are not doing very well. And it, it's kind of partly down to a couple of things. Like, you know, we're still relatively new. You know, it's only sort of, you know, those were our third, fourth and fifth games of it. Um, and also I think Iron Man and Black Panther, they, they are great. And I think they work better on larger teams where they've got other people there to take the fall. Because they're both sure. very similar okay. characters. They take a while to get going. You know, you need to be searching the deck to get their upgrades out to play those upgrades first before you start tackling mm. the bad guy. But the, the problem is, if, you, if you're if you both doing that, the bad guy's basically free to just sit there and ski. You're not controlling board exactly. state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so we so. were like, okay, shit, this is, not, this is not going to work. Let's have another crack and let's change characters. And I'm like, okay, Captain Marvel looks cool. I'll give her a go and I'll use an aspect that we haven't used yet. So I dug out the leadership aspect which was really, really useful. And Kim used She-Hulk and had the aggression aspect, which meant that she basically going and punch things. And it worked nice. out a lot easier. And we, we defeated Claw on like the first go. We were just like, yeah, absolutely stomped <laughs> nice. him. We were like, okay, yeah, that, that's a better synergy. And that was good fun to do. Do, do you know what, though? That's exactly the same as Arkham mm. Horror. Like, you can end up with some really bad character matchups and they just don't synergize. Mm. And you need to kind of like have that variety in your team to be able to really get the most out of the scenario. Like you said, you just end up with these two characters that all want to be the kind of stars of the show and want to like tall up and get their great kid yeah. out. But by that point, the, the bad guy's like 90% on the, yeah. like completed his scheme or whatever. You're like, oh, great. Now now it's kind of impossible to deal with. So that that sounds awesome. Glad that you managed to beat him. Yeah, that, um, that was good. Uh, so we, that's pretty much all I've played. I have played a bit of Transformers with Darren, um, friend of the show, Darren. 
Uh, I picked up uh, a few extra bits and pieces on eBay for that. I managed to get an absolute bargain. I picked up what would have been what would have been ten pounds worth of cards, and because it was like all bulk buy from one guy, it was like yeah, you because you bought like X amount of cards, here's like a fifty percent discount. So I got it for like a fiver. I was like, this is amazing. I love not chasing metas with trading card games because I'm not trying to buy the most competitive cards. I'm just trying to round out the collection and buy a few that will give me a few different options. And like you know, that you're, you're talking at like you know at most, you know, two pounds a card. It's like it's, it's nothing really in the grand scheme of it. So that's been good. Uh, I've I've been painting as well. I've done a bit of hobby. Um, so I've been yeah, nearly finished all my Clone Wars, uh, Star Wars Legion stuff. I've picked picked lovely. up a few lovely, lovely. Yes, yeah. I can't wait to show those off. I've picked up uh, picked up some more Space Marines as well. Dirty, dirty Warhammer player. Um, just just to kind of round those out as well. Again, I'm not going for a whole army's worth, although I now have a 1500 point army of pure pure yeah, super so that's, that's uh... But that's been built up over the course of a <laughs> I'm year. I'm not going for a full army, but I've ended up with yeah. a full army. But it was that was over the course of a year. I didn't do it in one hit. So for me, it's it's a bit more manageable. I don't feel as bad about it. That's pretty much been it, though. To be honest, in terms of what I've played, it has been RPG central. Mm. But but I've enjoyed that, and I think it's a great way to make use of the current situation we're in. Mm, um, if we can't game with models on tables, let's do things in theatre of the mind. Yeah, and it's really good. And um, long may it continue. To be honest, I'd almost sort of advocate... It, it means that we could play RPGs a bit more frequently, because we wouldn't all have to be like, yeah, okay, I can't get over to X's house or Y's house on this day, but I could sit at my laptop and do it. It's just that I need to be at home for whatever reason we could do a bit more of that remotely it might mean that we can get more regular sessions going who knows who knows yeah yeah and it, and it worked really well i don't think we had any issues with it at all um setups were good mm. um and the, the and the apps are there i definitely found it was easier with genesis just because all of the apps and the tools are there yeah to use definitely um definitely advocate their use in future as well even if they were in physical presence it might just be easier if people use the app and what was that we were using? Was it RPG sessions, RPG sessions or was yeah, it um, roll? Yeah, yeah. No, roll twenty is something that I need to learn. I will be learning this week. I've got a couple of days off, so I'm gonna take a bit of time and figure that out for maybe the next session. Well, well, well. Looky here. Look who stumbled into the episode. <laughs> yeah, was it a few too many pints last night, Darren? There were a few, but it was a bank holiday, so it's all justified. <laughs> yes, welcome, friend of the show, Darren, for the friend second of the show, episode. Darren. Oft talked about, oft <laughs> talked about, friend of the show, Darren. Um, so for this section, then uh, let, let's let's kick straight off, I guess. So what I wanted to know, um, what's a game that you really, really wanted to like, or you know, you like the look of, or you really wanted to look forward to playing it? But then ultimately, after you played it, you were like, ah, you know what, this isn't for me. You kind of bounced off of it. Do you, you know, have you got any any examples of those guys? Which you want to uh, take on first? Do you, want, do you want to take it first, Adam? Do, do you know what? It's such a hard question. I feel like you've got a few games that definitely fall into this category for you. So maybe you should start us off, Lee, and give us the reasons <laughs> is, why you hate games so that, much. <laughs> yeah, get, get that is ball that rolling. Ex- yeah. This is, is basically Lee's, Lee's getting it off his chest session. This is right. what this is. Okay, Go so, okay. so th- this band from, basically, I, I thought of this the other day. So I was looking through some like old photos and that on like my old blog because I'm self-indulgent like that. Um, 
and I happened to I happened to see there was um, some photos of the models I got from uh, Kickstarter called Hint Human Interface Nakamura Tower. Oh, they were yeah, they were lovely models, lovely models, gorgeous mm. models. Yeah, 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 absolutely stunning. And I sort of thought to myself, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember buying those, but I absolutely hated the game. And the reason for that was, you know, despite the models being really really nice, just I remember getting it. It was the first Kickstarter I'd ever gone on. Got all the models, built them all. Had to read through the rule book, and I'm like, okay, this rule book's a little bit ropey, but you know what? I managed with Infinity Second Edition rule book because that one was pretty bad. I've, I, you know, it, how bad can it be, right? So I think you guys actually came around, didn't you, for the first game that we set up? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, and so when we gave that a go, mm-hmm. it was it just fell flat. Like it, the rule book was bloody awful anyway. There was whole phases that didn't make any sense, and there were like a ton of tokens that came with the game that had no purpose whatsoever. They were never like referenced in the rule book, and I'm like, so why have I got these tokens? Clearly, they're for something. And it was just like there was no clear resolution to certain things and certain rules. And it was like, okay, so there's a nugget of a game here, but there's not a fully formed game, which really soured me towards like not Kickstarter, but I mean, it soured me towards like unknown quantities on kickstarter yeah i think it's a fair point because you know because in kickstarter you go often by the look of the game because you can't get any reviews obviously Mm. um and even if they give you a playthrough video um you're still only kind of guessing whether you might enjoy it in reality you know and so you often do look at the models and look at the artwork and go well do i like that is that exciting enough to buy into you know and that's kind of the risk i suppose of kickstarters yeah I mean, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It is a risk with a Kickstarter, and effectively you need to see it like a bit of a gamble. Like, they've got an idea yeah. for a game. You, There's no idea if they'll actually reach a decent fruition point with it. Like, they've got to deliver something to you. That's their kind of commitment. But I think mm. it just suffered with kind of probably not having enough money, having probably a team that were just doing their first Kickstarter or one of their firsts. Um it struggled a bit with the translation, I think, between because I think they were a Spanish company, and I think they didn't uh, get the Polish, right. I think were they Polish? They definitely didn't yeah. have the right team in to handle their translations. Um, and I think very quickly they released a hint version two or like a second Kickstarter to basically try and rectify all the <laughs> issues they had with the first one, right? Um, yeah, but as far I as also think did. I was checked the, out by that point. <laughs> the challenge with these these Kickstarters is they kind of challenge you to go all in. Like, so you're making yeah. a big commitment up front um, to if it works out or not. And, and by all means, I think you've got some fantastic miniatures with that set, and you had some great like the artwork, the board pieces, everything kind of mm. like was there, but the rules weren't there to back up the game experience that <clears> you wanted it to deliver. Now, that's yeah. not to say we couldn't have probably found some rules online to make that playable, but I guess at that point... So, so I guess maybe that's something to talk about, is that did you literally... The system is the thing that you dropped as opposed to the the theme and the artwork and the miniatures and things like that, right? Yeah, so I, I, like you said, I went in based purely on the aesthetics and it was it kind of... I, I was looking at it from a point of view of okay yeah it's a, it'd be a fun sort of dungeon crawlery board game to play um it i could probably get double use out of the miniatures with infinity at the time because i was playing it still and i just thought yeah okay this is this has got some potential here and then yeah just the the system like there were some good like little rule bits in there but it just i just couldn't 
after after we played, like I think I tried a couple of the solo sessions as well, and I'm like, I'm still not getting this whole hacking cyberverse phase. It's just all over the shop. What's going on? It was kind of like um, a, a really simplified netrunner, but it just kind of yeah. felt like um, it clogged up the game um, in mm. in a really kind of I don't know. I, when I played it, it felt like this doesn't do much, but it's taking like twice yeah, yeah, the time now to to do yeah. it. <laughs> you know, um, which isn't great. Um, it's it's, it's mm. going to be quite interesting to see how this compares to Defiance, actually, because they're very similar-looking board games, really. Um, you know, both got that sci-fi, um, near-future kind of look to them, but I, I, I suspect mm. they'll play quite differently, but um, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Defiance will have a layer of polish on it that mm. uh, Hint didn't. I think that's the thing. hope so. The Hint, the Hint designers came from a design background, so everything looked the part. It looked brilliant. Like, yeah. We couldn't fault the artwork and design, sure. but... The mechanics wise it was lacking in certain areas i mean and it wasn't even that it was a bad mechanic it was just that the way the rule book was written it was like okay so how do i resolve this or what does it mean when this happens and there was no well there were very few ways to cover like kind of not even edge case scenarios it was like quite obvious scenarios like so how do i resolve this when at what point do i stop doing the hacking phase and go back to the real world yeah there was no <laughs> nothing in there nothing explicitly even said yeah you end when such and such happens or, or you choose to go back it's there is nothing it, and i'm like okay <laughs> it's hard on, because sorry. it's an indie it's an indie kind of like rule set like if you look at it that way they're new to de- games development it's their version yeah. one i'm sure we play plenty of games where in their first edition the rules haven't been that polished and things haven't made as mm. much sense i guess we've got very high expectations these games days of board games and like what they mm. need to deliver against i think there Definitely, are certain yeah. Um, if you look at fantasy flight games, for example, like they've got a set of very core mechanics that they use in, in their games and they are not ashamed to abuse those and use them left, right and centre, right? We look at Arkham, they've nailed the core mechanics in that game, literally nailed them and they are able to release more and more content for it. On top of the fact, you've also got um, Marvel, uh, the new Marvel game that you've been playing, mm. the Marvel um, uh, LCG that they've released. Uh, the Marvel, Marvel Champions, right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, and and that is you basically using the same mechanics. They've just cookie cutted the kind mm. of like the core system, and it's the same with like X Wing and kind of Legion and Imperial Assault. They use those kind of same sort of dice for calculating hits and blocks and things like that. But I think if you look at someone who's who's got a fledgling game and they're trying to do, hey, how can we make this game different from what other people are doing? Yeah. And they take a they take a punt on something, and sometimes it doesn't deliver, and that's one of the challenges, right? And I think you you, you mentioned hmm. Darren um, Defiance. I think that's going to like go down really well because the core mechanics of the game are built around the dice mechanics we've already seen in Aristea, and we've seen them execute that really well. They yeah, really like- help streamline gameplay and i feel like that's going to deliver because we know broadly speaking the core mechanics are in place and they're working yeah and, and we obviously um enjoy our so i guess as long as you enjoy that core mechanic you shouldn't be too far off from enjoying the rest of the experience um i mean it's interesting that Aristea actually it actually started off as a dungeon crawler Aristea, and then they released mm. Aristea, the arena game and then it's come back to Defiance as the actual dungeon crawler. Mm. Um, so it's it's kind of a weird process that. But uh, so it's all, all it's 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 good to know, and I guess that it was always intended to suit yeah. that environment, which is good. Yeah, <laughs> you know that's quite reassuring. <laughs> I mean, 
for, for me, uh, not to go too off topic, but Defiance was an easy one just because I wanted all the models anyway for Infinity. So it's just like buy the models and get a game for free. So it was a very easy yeah. one to buy into. And I suppose in a mm. way, Hint was like that for you because, and the board was great. So you could use that for Infinity games, even if you didn't like the yeah. game. And I think that was probably one of the core things you could use it for. And the models are great. So you could, again, use those in other games. But yeah. ultimately, that doesn't isn't grateful hint. <laughs> you know? No, no, it wasn't. I, I think I, do, I don't want to sort of turn it into a slagging match because no. you know what the the output was great. You know, don't get me wrong, um, but it just wasn't for me. So I, I ended up sort of bouncing off it in the end. I had to had to get rid, and you know, yeah, I, I, I don't regret selling it. You know, yeah, I look at the models now and again, like you see these pictures, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of wish I kept them, but. You know you what? You used it for Needs fun must. other aspects, right? And you, you bought all your exactly, yeah. stuff and you got loads of use out of that. So oh, yeah. Yeah, and it, obviously it's quite dependent on the specific people's taste. I mean, I've got a good example, if you want to hear one, that is uh, yeah, a yeah. well-regarded game, apparently, that I hate and I own and I would happily give away freely. <laughs> um, Lee's, Lee's waiting for this. Is it, oh, a free game? A free game, yeah. A free game. Is it's, it Monopoly? It's, it's, fa- it's Fancy Flight. So, uh, you know, that's a surprise, I think. Initially, I, I there's very few Fancy Flight games that I don't like. Um, is it chaos in the old world? No, Please God, no, no, God, no, world, no, no. <laughs> One of us will take that off your hands. <laughs> I, 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 I'd like to sleep every night. You know? <laughs> it's like, um, uh, no, it's Elder Sign. It's an Arkham game as well. So uh, Arkham uh, Files, okay. but um, it's, it's effectively, I get, I think it's, it's been a long time since I played it, but it's a dice-based game that I think is kind of a uh, step beyond Yahtzee kind of thing. Uh, but for me... <laughs> For me, it gets. Like, no, no, you laugh, I but it, it, is. it really yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, that sounded like a thinly veiled insult. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I don't get it. Like, I, I literally, after playing it, I had to Google online saying, "Are there any tactics to Elder Sign?" Because it just felt yeah, like no, you're no. rolling dice. And um, couldn't, I couldn't, couldn't agree it. more. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, but In no, the, I found it. So I didn't own the game, but I, I had the app, and I felt exactly oh, yeah. the same thing as you just said there, Darren. Like. Are there any tactics? Because it felt like you just go to location, roll some dice, and you're entirely at the mercy of whatever you're yeah. rolling. But there's so many dice, you're like, oh my god, I've not. And it's so it was so swingy. Um, yeah, it's just like I guess in the game. I mean, this one is particularly well regarded as a solo game, and I was mm. like, okay, like what do I do? You can slightly modify your odds, but ultimately, I, I was like the amount of decisions or tactics in the game are so minimal that ultimately I'm just rolling dice and just seeing what happens and I got bored very quickly and yeah that's when I started googling and the fact that when I started looking it up there was a big thread on it on board game geek I mean it's not a good sign I don't think I've ever seen another game where it says does this game have any tactics you know it's like there's not many threads about that um so that that was definitely a disappointing one that uh, I, I now I sold so well I'm sure Everyone will, will want to copy, but uh... <laughs> I mean, scarily, it's got a rating of seven on Board Game Geek. I don't yeah, know. Uh, yeah, who's people been like it. That. Yeah, people like it. Uh, I just don't get it myself. Um, maybe I'm missing something, but um, a lot of people like it, and I guess it's just not for me. Even though the theme, mm. I know, you know, it goes to show that the theme's important, but there's there's a limit. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally with you on that one. I I don't think I could play Star Wars Monopoly. 
Yeah. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many Monopoly versions now. It's ridiculous. I think I saw a Dragon Ball Z one the other day. I'm like, what? Wh- why? I mean, <laughs> this so just... what? Do you spend like most of the majority going around the board just talking, and then like the last square is where? <laughs> <laughs> That's, uh, you've got to go around so, three times actually, and then you get one fight. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so I guess like from what you mentioned at the start, Lee, when we're talking about kind of what games you really like the look of, but or look forward to playing, but ultimately you bounce off. And both of you have kind of mentioned games there that you were kind of drawn in quite heavily on the theme. Like that, mm-hmm. that would have ticked it for you, but ultimately the gameplay experience didn't live up to your expectations. Mm-hmm. And for you, Darren, it was more about kind of like the tactic side of thing. Like you felt like you wanted more out of that. And Lee, like obviously they need to learn how to write rules in English. Um, <laughs> maybe get i think it was they had a, they well. had a proofreader they had a proofreader i remember reading all the comments on the thread and it was like he was saying yeah I've, I've i've explained to them like you know they need to reword this to make it make sense or they need to add this bit in and then when it went to print none of those changes went in right, so it was okay. like they ignored wow. his advice and it's like okay do you think that's so the kickstarter kind of deadline bearing down it i can imagine can be quite um quite difficult yeah. for smaller companies Print has a lot of like lead times. Yeah. I know that much from from various I, jobs, but I mean, yeah, maybe I don't know. I mean, that... I mean, let's talk about the other the other yeah. kind of like horror of Kickstarter because I think this <laughs> is a, another one, right? Like, I, I feel like Kickstarter's done this uh, on a number of different occasions with games, and maybe it's the imposed mm. deadline of when they need to deliver it or the kind of over delivery of of bits through Kickstarter. But for me, Drop Fleet Commander was one of those games that in our kind of group and our gaming group we all really bought into we loved the look of it we were like oh my god this is going to be great we can all get into the kind of universe of drop fleet commander and drop zone commander and there's some really cool factions like we love the artwork we all kind of bought into this kind of kickstarter but for me like when i picked up that game and started playing it even after the first couple of games i just really struggled to feel enthusiastic about playing it there was a lot of kind of like just missed matched kind of like rules and all of the you've got these great looking models and then you're just chucking down these like really crap paper tokens on the board (laughs) to mark down all these like drop zones and like there was so much disconnect i think it was also compounded by the fact i'd chosen the faction that had nothing they were just generic they were so boring like standard humans anything to (laughs) yeah i know but like they could have made them something and it just felt like they didn't like they went here's your baseline and we'll make a faction the baseline and we'll build all the other factions off them but make them better in certain regards and we'll give them one floor. But those those mm. things, at least you can hook onto, I have nothing to hook onto. I was like, oh, great. The ships look cool. The models look great. But the oh, gameplay... Yeah. Models were fantastic. I mean, it's worth, actually, I, um, I guess it's worth just describing quickly Drop, drop Flick Commander, what, 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 what it is, I suppose. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, there'll be listeners out there who uh, who aren't aware so it's be- it was uh, originally written by hawk war games i believe tt combat owned the brand now yep. it was uh, it originally started as drop zone commander which was a sort of 10 mil sci-fi combined arms um war game then they had ambitions to expand the universe and expand into a fleet game so drop fleet commander came in which is kind of the the precursor to drop zone in that you bring your fleets in and then you drop off your troops and that was kind of a a core component of the game was that it was more about getting troops on the ground rather than just smashing the other fleet like which was you know an interesting 
thing, like a good take on it, really, because it meant that then the games felt connected because, yeah, you're there and you get your carriers in and they start dropping the troops and then you can go on and play the ground game later on or whatever. But I think, yeah, like you said, Adam, there's a few sort of missteps in terms of... I don't even think it was component quality for me. I think the, the issue I had was that there was too much... And I, I find this a lot with bigger scale games anyway and mm. maybe it's just me because people seem to love it but i just think when you're zooming out that far you need to abstract more not add more minutiae in mm. because yeah. the, like the this the the, the the important phase of the game was that you dropped troops right but then you had a load of ground combat and i'm like you don't need to do ground combat surely that that doesn't matter to the fleet they just want to get their troops out let the ground combat happen in a separate game system don't don't bog down this fleet based game or space game with stuff that's going on on the ground that ultimately doesn't matter. Like, I just felt that kind of slowed it down. Massively slowed it mentioned. down. I, I, I think the yeah. other thing was the whole kind of altitude thing. Like, on paper, it sounds great. It's like, okay, yeah, you're going to have these kind of fleets at different levels within the atmosphere and kind of like, it's going to be mm. harder to hit, they're further away. But ultimately, yeah, like, you're moving things and kind of like dropping, like turning their bases and marking kind of signatures it all just added like you saying Lee, like an extra level of complexity to what could have been like a, a decent fleet based game um, mm. yeah it was surprising i think they'd have been sorry go on i, I, I think it was surprising like how uh, some aspects of the game were really streamlined or refined like shooting couldn't really have been simpler and mm. in, to some extent um movement wasn't too bad uh, but yeah, it, it got fiddly really quickly because it was pre-measure as well. There was a lot of times where actually measuring exactly the right position because you knew how far the enemy's guns were and how far you need to be from a target. If you get to this one point, you know, that if you can measure it out, yeah. if you've got enough time to measure that out, <laughs> which people did, <laughs> you know, it's like you're safe and everything's great. But So it, it, it was one of those games that although a lot of the core mechanics were quite simple, it's, it got bogged down a bit by pre-measuring and the mm. ground combat particularly, I totally agree with that. Like you didn't need anything complicated at that point. And yeah, the tokens did were not good. I, I do almost wonder whether it should have just got rid of that uh, ground combat, whether it just tried to tie in too much with the existing game and didn't really need it. it, it yeah, it gave it some mm. an extra feel uh, that no other spacecraft game has had. But there's not exactly a huge amount of spacecraft games out there anyway. Yeah, do you know? <laughs> yeah. And I, and I felt like everything just just died. I didn't like the whole kind of like <laughs> the thing. You got to like fifty percent damage, and you basically the ship was dead anyway because yeah. like it would take like a critical and just take more damage, and it'd be one hit point away from dying. And you'd have these drop drop like um, carriers that literally, as soon as they drop one thing, they just got lit up like a Christmas tree and just oh, got yeah. absolutely blown to pieces. It's like why yeah. am I even taking that? And it kind of rewarded you for taking the smallest ships possible with the smallest signatures with big scan ranges mm. and that, that didn't yeah. need to go weapons free to shoot all of their weapons um yeah i, I don't know like it like i'm just it, for me it just it, i i had to get rid of it like it wasn't doing anything for me and yeah I, it was it was disappointed because i really like fleet-based games like i've got really fond memories of like a call to arms babylon 5 and and things like that, kind of big epic space battles for me, really cool to play. Um, you know, we're playing X-Wing, that's great, it's like skirmishy stuff, but I feel like I'm still missing that big space battle simulator um, that mm. delivers on what I kind of want out of it. 
Yeah, I'd agree. There's the, there's a bit of a gap in the market almost, isn't it? And I think unless unless Dropfleet could suddenly turn around with a new edition and say, okay, yeah, we've taken out all this shite and put in some like decent rules and things or, or something like that, I, yeah, I don't really know what's out there. Because Armada, know, Armada doesn't do it for me at all. Apart, of, it, apart of components, apart from components, Lee, what was that game we played at the Expo last year? That kind of space game. Oh, no, you played it. I came and watched you while you were getting a demo. It Was was it Red Alert or something? Red Alert or something. Mm. It's, a, it's a big box game, isn't it, that comes with both yeah. factions in the box, and they are pretty much mm. generic sci-fi spaceships, aren't they? Is that the one you're talking about? Yeah, like, the components didn't do it for me, but the idea that you just, like, move about on these hexes, so there was no, like, measuring. Mm. You just, like, hey, here's a sector, and you just have, like, mm. a hex-based board moving your things about, and, like, it just it played fast. The models weren't amazing, but they were like decent enough components. I think we're, we you could also... swap those out with reasonable yeah. proxies, right? Mm. Yeah, it sounds, yeah, sounds right. It played quite well. Yeah, um, I've, mm, I do have a bit of a. At. There are, I, I I find games sometimes a bit hard when they're like, hey, you can use a generic deck of cards. I'm like, I, I like premium components. Can we just make it like a <laughs> yeah. a nice, um, you know, produced by your guys. Do some nice artwork on it, and you know, I'm quite happy to pay five six quid for a deck of cards. Um, anyway, cool. I digress. I digress. Yeah, I, I do have another game actually that I played um, that I thought about. Game. So it's all coming out. Uh, so it's Twilight Imperium, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> <He hates it>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, he's won. Like both the yeah. games he's played that. I'm, I'm going straight for the jugular next time. It's because I'm never starting. <laughs> so Darren, that, that, that is. I, I always sit next to Lee. That's my trick, you know. And then I, 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 I get. <laughs> Get the most king, passive get player maker. <laughs> soft, yeah. soft touch. I have to pay him twenty quid afterwards, but it's worth it. It's, <laughs> um, Wait, what? Yeah, you're like, you're paid? I never received that money. Um, so, <laughs> the actually, it's a bit of an older game now, and I think it was among, I think it was among kind of early Kickstarter days. It's Sedition Wars by Studio McVeigh. Um, I remember seeing that. Yeah, pretty cool looking game. Really cool. Very similar to Hint, I think though. Like the models, amazing. They kind of had this um, weird kind of techno plague where people got taken over and turned into kind of uh, cyborgs, a bit Borg-like, I guess, but also mixed mm. with more horror aspects. Uh, you know, some really, I guess, like Doom. Uh, I think is quite a good yeah. one. You got that sort of like melding of horror and sci-fi together. And uh, the models were amazing. I never brought into it, but I have friends who have the whole collection and they love painting it and playing it was the missions basically suffered from uh, being quite swinging, but also the game itself was in, like the hardest part was line of sight, working out whether you had line of sight was pretty intense and um, <laughs> that's not a good sign, <laughs> you know, it's like... I mean, I I don't I didn't own it. Oh, you like so. you felt like that was the conflict in the game is like actually trying to figure out if you could see. Yeah, <laughs> like honestly, see this thing, you're like, no, you can't see it. Well, I mean, it's been a while since I played it, but but I think what if I remember correctly, kind of a bit of an ARO thing. Once you saw an enemy, they kind of started running at you, and it, so it's really important to know whether you can shoot them or whether they can see you. And I, I suppose when I saw the game, I expected it to play a bit like um, Space Hulk, kind of that you know, lighter uh, okay, kind of yeah. game, but actually it mm -hmm. was, it was like kind of not far from, it was, it was almost war game level of uh, complexity and um, difficulty. And I guess that's fine. Maybe if I brought into it, but as a sort of casual person trying to play it, it was quite hard to buy into it. And I talked to my 
uh, friends about it afterwards and they kind of had the same thing where they, they, they did play it through an entire campaign and there's people online that basically uh, provided more explanations and kind of actually as a community came together and sort of sanded off the rough corners um, and they got through it and they did still enjoy it but I, th I suppose it's telling if the community's got to do that rather than the, the game designers, you know. So, um, yeah. again, one that I, I, I think I'd be hesitant to play it again compared to a lot of other board games that I own. Um, you know, we've got some quite so solid, strong dungeon crawlers now. So would that ever come out in the light of day versus all the other ones that, like, we own? I don't think mm -hmm. so, you know. Um yeah, I think it's it's possibly showing its age a little. So, yeah, thankfully I didn't buy it, but uh, <laughs> 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 models are good though. The models are fantastic, so they're worth painting. Fair dues. I've I've got another one here actually as well. Of course, um, yeah. You you probably got like a like a listly. I bet you've got like book a book of grudges. Like a book <laughs> yeah, of grudges, like a book of games. No, which no I, don't, never I don't. Visit. Like a dwarf, he so, never forgets. <laughs> this one is one He's that not I bounced off of. <laughs> not, yet. not yet, give me time. Everyone's got one good book in and mine is just full of grudges. Um, so the one for me, I think, and this, this opinion could change in the future. Let me just caveat that. Um, so I think I've probably mentioned it in the past, is that we, we played Scythe, a uh, friend of the show, Jay, got a copy and he, he was really psyched to play. He was, you know, really kind of excited. He was bigging it up and all this stuff and he tried it solo and said, oh yeah, it's going to be amazing. I'm like, okay, cool. He's he's well in. Okay, excellent. I'm looking forward to this. And then we played it, and I was just a bit like, okay. So I've heard all this good stuff firsthand from Jay, and I've seen all the stuff online about how this is supposed to be like, you know, the not the game, but you know, a really really good example of a Euro game and stuff. And I'm sort of looking forward to it. And then we play it, and I'm just a bit like, what's going on here? Okay, the, it partly it was. It may have been Jay's description of the rules when we were playing because there were times where I found myself just not getting the rules and going, hang on, what am I doing here? What? That doesn't make any sense. Um, and then I found out that Jay was using sort of wording that didn't quite gel. And that's, that's, I'm not trying to blame him at all for it. I'm just sort of saying that was one thing that came up. But just like gameplay-wise as well, just in general, it just didn't feel like it did it for me. And I'm like, I just kind of left with a bit of a, a feeling of, why do people like this so much? Like, I just couldn't. It, I couldn't see it, and you know, maybe another playthrough might help me, you know, understand that. But I was just like, I just no, I don't know. I don't know what it was. I I think maybe I'd built it up in my mind because of the the hype that Jay was showing and the hype that I'd seen online, and I think I went in expecting something wildly different from what I actually played. And sure, you know, you sure. how how do you feel about the game? You know what. Because you played it, Adam, whereas you didn't, Darren. You came and watched didn't you, a bit later in the day. Yeah, yeah, I watched yeah, it. I what mean, did you two make of it? I mean, I, I definitely, I only felt like I got into the swing of the game halfway through the game, and maybe this is a fault on myself as well. Which, I, which, in all fairness, like I think we've all been here is is just turning up and assuming we can learn and play the game at the same time. And ultimately, mm. some games are a bit more complex than that. And you know, if you look at how we've played or got new players into Twilight Imperium in the past. Like, that's quite a heavy game. Um, but we've yeah. always been quite good in advance of sharing kind of the rule book and saying, can you watch this video online and understand how it plays? 
I can remember when we turned up for Scythe, I looked in, looked up nothing. I'd just been like, oh, I'm just going to turn up and see how this goes. And it's a very yeah. involved game. Um, mm. So, and you could say, you could argue, well, because it's only a couple of hours, like you expect it to play smoother than that. Like if you look at something like Monumental, we were all able to pick that up and learn pretty quickly with how, like how the game plays. Um, Scythe is more involved than that. It is more complex. I do still believe it would deliver a great experience. I just, I wasn't prepared for how much I should have probably looked up the rules and prepared myself to play the game. I think I, I went into it thinking it will. I'll take one turn and kind of have the gist of the rules, and it's not that simple. Like you have to be making decisions three or four turns in advance. Mm. Um, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. Really good point, actually. Yeah, we none of us went in prepared for that, did we? I definitely didn't read any rule books prior to playing. And maybe that is yeah. the, the part of it is that once you get brought into it and you really do know what you're doing and you're kind of that subtle kind of you know I, I don't know fencing between players about oh I'm doing this and that you 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 can respond by doing that. It is obviously yeah. a really Euro game as well, which none of us have anything that similar possibly dinosaur island is probably possibly i don't know a bit similar Yam- yamatai it's a euro yeah. yeah but similar to no, I, I do agree yeah uh, dinosaur island does look like it's got that level of um player interaction I, I guess what what is interesting about that is maybe it has the level of complexity but you're all taking the turns at the same time so you go through phase one together you go through phase two together and it's more um I guess staged but I still think you probably want to play through a game of Dinosaur Island and then go back to it and play it again mm-hmm. um, which is a tough sell because a lot of us kind of want to play a game and be hooked after the first game um, and you get that from you know the likes of I don't know Deep Madness that you've got for example Darren like you can get through that but that's a different style of game right that's a mm. co-op game if you're playing a co-op then you're all in it together whereas yeah, if you've got a game where mm. you're expected to perform to win like or at least standard like you don't want to seem like a pushover in a game i guess i i wouldn't ever say i'll go into a game with the intention of winning but i go in with the intention of understanding the rules enough to put up a good fight yeah <laughs> and if you feel like you've not got a good handle on that um then that can frustrate myself and i imagine other players um yeah i, I mean as an i because i i watched the game and i think that was a pretty that was not a great experience so i would like to have played it i think because as a someone observing it obviously um it this will change as you know the rules more but like visually it's a little bit hard to see what's going on because there might be loads of mechs on the table but actually that doesn't really mean anything more than the ability to do combat and that doesn't mean they're good at fighting because it's all on your little sheet how good you are actually at doing things you know so Mm. um it's quite hard it was quite hard to really get engaged with as an outsider um but you know i guess how how different is that to something like monumental it might have been Um, also that we just played it you can kind of see i suppose with monumental though like the relative forces and where people are grouped and you know i i I guess Mm. it it's it's a small point because obviously games are not supposed to be observed <laughs> they're supposed to be played yeah. but um you know i guess other games are a lot more obvious area a lot of area control games in particular are a lot more obvious watch players doing what and um how strong their forces are whereas that games because it's that abstraction of 
you know, actually that mech model doesn't really mean all that much, you know, um, versus yeah. what's on your player sheet. And, you know, that's not very easy to see. Um, whereas, yeah, Monumento, I thought, was very clear cut. Like, yes, people have their own abilities and, you know, they've got the tableaus, which are quite, um, you know, quite important. But you can clearly see where the forces are and where they're gathered and where you might be able to attack them. So that felt a lot easier to gauge the board state, in my opinion. Hmm. Oh, I've got another one. I've got another Ooh, game. Go on, then. I've, I figured out a game that I really wanted to like, but bounced off of. Okay. Um, Here we go. So we were at the Expo last year, and we played a demo of Fallout. Oh, yes. Oh, I yeah, love, yeah, yeah. I love, I love the Fallout universe. I love the soundtrack. I love the games. That kind of, like apocalyptic future i thought it was going to be great it could be like this little co-op kind of game that we could play just no i just couldn't i walked away from that thinking what what did we just play like the mechanics just felt shoehorned into it it didn't feel like fallout it felt yeah. like a game with a fallout skin on top of it um yeah <laughs> it's it's um, actually kind of like a race game because there's so little interaction and yeah you know it's it's just like it you know, you basically all of you are just racing and kind of going through these generic decks because the, the decks are so generic. Like you just go to a town and you get a, a town deck, and it, I don't know, it could be anywhere. It just didn't really feel like you were exploring. It just felt like you were randomly mm. generating events that you hope to get through. That hopefully you get to the end of the mission. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, actually, yeah. like you saying that in that way just just makes me think. Well, that's basically just um, Arkham Horror, the board game, or Eldritch <laughs> Horror, the board game. Like that's exactly the True. same way you go somewhere. You do, but they've got a like a it's a co op game where you feel like you're working together and you're closing these portals. I just had no sight of what those overarching objectives were or anything when I was playing Fallout. It just felt like meh yeah i'm with you on <laughs> I that really struggled. i mean may have been a demo in, may have been that possibly <laughs> i think though a lot of people have said similar and they are rectifying it there is apparently a co-op expansion coming out oh, later this year cool. so clearly fancy flight either had this plan from the off or they listened probably probably the former we made honest. this mistake so uh what we're going to do is release this 40 quid expansion for the game to fix <laughs> yeah. the mistake oh wait if you're really into i answered it. my own question mm-hmm. i answered money, my own money. question there, didn't i exactly <laughs> yeah but i mean that the, there is a co-op expansion coming which apparently alleviates it. i mean i don't know i'm not gonna okay buy it. i'm not a, I'm not a huge fallout fan i don't mind it but i don't know just like post-apocalyptic stuff doesn't really grab me it's, so much. It's one of the few so. bo- one of the few uh, computer games I've actually played. Uh, Fallout One. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, Fallout, one, God, Fallout. Yeah. Fallout One. Yeah, I've still got it. Space adventure game. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it had graphics. Point and click. It has it? graphics. It was turn based. It had graphics. <laughs> it had graphics. Was I actually like do. I do own it or something. Uh, it, it, oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll show you some screen grabs. It's it's amazing. Oh, no. <laughs> Do you, I bet you still play it. I bet you're like, oh, uh, let me get out Fallout One. They did an offer <laughs> on Steam um, of, like last year for four pounds, you could buy all the old ones, and I was like, yeah, go on then. And <laughs> <laughs> had a little back. go, had a go, and then I got bored after an hour. <laughs> I, I know, and I've got another game actually. I've just thought of one. So I tried i think i have talked about this on the podcast before but i tried the newer version of necromunda oh yeah recently because so necromunda by games workshop 
came out bloody years ago and I, I bought into that in quite a big way before I really got a gaming group. So I was buying the models and painting them. I had like pretty much the entire Orlock range because um, I really like the look of them. I bought the rule book. I've got the I've still got the big collector's edition rule book or what not collector's edition, but the, the big hardbound rule book that they did years ago. I've still got that. And I thought, oh, great, okay, so they're coming out now with plastic models, and yeah, they've not got as much character as the old metals, but they still look nice, you know, maybe I'll give it a go. You know, my friend John, as he does, buys everything, so he bought the <laughs> starter set, and we gave it a go. Of course he does. And I was like, okay, yeah, brilliant, oh, I'm going to be the Escher gang, I'll get a, a, you know, I'll use his Escher models, but I'll probably pick up my own gang, and bloody bloody blah, I've made all these plans in my head. And we played it, and I was like, Again, like Dropfleet, I'm like, there's the core of a good game here somewhere. It's somewhere like buried deep beneath this. There's actually some decent rules. However, there are just the the sales model for it was like you they released the core set with two gangs in, and you could buy the gangs separately, and they were gradually bringing out more and more gangs. But all the rules for those gangs were spread around multiple books that came out over the course of like I think it was one book every couple of months. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, so if I want to play this gang, not only do I need to buy their book or the book that has their rules in it, but I may also need some of the ancillary rules from one of the other books that came out previously. So what started as I need to buy a, a gang box of you know 10 models for 20 quid, it then became, okay, I need the gang box, I need the book that has these rules in it, I need the other book that has these rules in it, and then I'll probably need another book... That doesn't you know, sound like GW line. at all, Lee. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that their entire sales model wrapped into? Get you hooked. Pretty much. I think they they seem to relent on that a bit with Warcry, though. Warcry's been a bit different because hmm. you do, I don't need to buy the other books if I want to play the game. I can, I can just buy the gang box and that's it. And, it, and I've got the rule book, so it's it's fine. Like, and it's one of those things that if you're really into the game, the constant releases are probably brilliant. You just like, oh, here's some new rules, and maybe I play yeah, with different yeah. gangs. But yeah, if you if you're looking at as a kind of more of a side game, it is a bit relentless, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, it's. I've heard a lot of people yeah, describe that, them as lifestyle games, and that's very mm. true. It, you have to make it your lifestyle that you only play that one game, and you buy all the releases for that game. But mostly, the fans are three point. Pretty hardcore fans, you know, and you know, yeah. you know the people yes. that we know in the group. But if you're into, you know, I think we're a bit unusual in that we dip our toe back in, and we have a bit of fun mm. with it, and um, then we safely run off of our wallets. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's other people that are shucking money up. But I, I, I can't remember who said now, but some one of the guys on the thread was saying that there's a store that you can pay in instalments for your 40k yeah, stuff yeah. i'm like that is a not it's, a good it's sign like a, it's like a new type of currency i think it's yeah. Klarma, i think they call it where you can it basically lies as a payment plan yeah if <laughs> you, you need to have a payment plan for your 40k addiction i i i question whether you should calm it down a bit you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i but, mean here's here's the here's the well, getting on to 40k really but um i was thinking about this the other day because i was like Ultimately, for me, one of the gripes I have with the game is that the scale of what you see on the tabletop doesn't match up with actually what's written in the lore and the fluff. Like, you should see 30 Marines take on, like, 300 Gene Stealers. But then they'd never sell 300 Gene Stealers versus, like, there's, everyone would buy 30 Marines. And that's where they ended up. So they were like, oh, shit, we need to make Marines worse off on tables. So they kind of, like, scaled it back. So Marines are actually yeah. a lot worse on table than what they I, actually perform know, like in the, actually, in the like, fluff. 
now new marines um primaris as they're called uh the big marines they actually feel like super space marines proper space marines you know they are yeah. really hardcore like they shoot a lot they're really resilient and they they definitely you feel like you're fighting someone a super warrior now and that was quite surprising i mean it's hard i mean my trannis got a bit smashed around by them but it def from a fluff perspective like i think um there weren't many of them and they were really kicking a lot of bullets out and mm -hmm. taking a lot back you know so i think they have done quite a lot there i, I think um to make them feel more like they should um yeah, I think there's there's partly that. I think also partly it is okay. These are we need to sell more space marines to yeah, space yeah. marine players. Yeah. Let's make them really fucking good, and I, I suspect that will get dialed back in, mm. you know, in a few years time. But that's the cynic in me talking. And to be honest, I'm not playing in any kind of tournament metas or anything. Yeah. I just I literally picked up these models for fun. So if they get nerfed, they get nerfed. I don't yeah. really care. I'll still play them. Not going to sell them on eBay, like and buy the new hotness or anything like that. It's... Yeah, I, I mean, I re I remember back to the narrative. We, I think we talked about this before, like the narrative games where we've done like you know, um, orc drift, so wargs drift, but it's kind of mm. like you know, a handful of marines against like hundreds and hundreds of mm. models, like pouring off them, and that's what they. Uh, and I've I've never really felt that they've got that scale right. But anyway, I I digress. Otherwise, this is getting <laughs> into like games yeah. workshop territory so let's yeah. let's bring actually, this back onto kind of games that we games that we bounced off i actually have done mm. that orc strip by the way myself with me and my brother that was an awesome game oh, day just because uh, uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool uh but yeah um i, I suppose one game that uh, honorable mention maybe uh not as harsh <laughs> as most of we're not gonna, not as harsh as we've been on a lot of these games but um probably actually um game of thrones i enjoyed it a lot and the, it, the Game of Thrones board game is really widely available because how popular Game of Thrones was and Fantasy Flight probably went from selling a handful of copies to, you know, couldn't print it fast enough, I'm sure, at one point because you could get it in Waterstones mm. and easily accessible. Not particularly expensive, which is really good. And the game is certainly not bad by any stretch of the imagination, but it's really showing its age. It's... Some parts of the rules are very clunky. I think it took at least half an hour to explain all the rules. And even then, I kind of skipped on a lot of the intricacies of ports, for, for example. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it take a lot of time to go through and to understand. And um, the game is certainly not bad. I've played it twice and have had really good fun playing it. But I do wonder how often it will come out versus a lot of the versus mm. the streamlined games that we're seeing from uh simon and companies like that you know these area control games like rising sun for example is a really classic kind of one and you know i i i i guess i'm kind of, i kind of liked it but i'm not sure if it will come out as much because of its clunkiness yeah. so yeah I, I i don't disagree with you i think the challenge is it's competing in a kind of an arena where there's some very, very good, capable games of delivering that amount of players, a concise experience. Mm. I didn't, I'd still enjoyed it and I would play yeah. it if someone wanted to get it out and, 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 you know, experience Game of Thrones again. What I found the challenge with it is, is like, it only takes one turn in that game to literally just let someone run away with it. And if one person does something 
wrong or like chooses to king make then it's kind of game over and you can kind of play through the motions <laughs> that is um, a game of thrones adam yes you could you could say well that's so thematic of the game so it doesn't yeah. really matter but yeah. uh it can be a bit frustrating from a player's perspective but i, I don't Negative know like, play experience it has actually got some aspects which i haven't actually seen in other games as well of that category which i did really enjoy like the raiding you can you can do more than just fight basically you just support mm. and the raids i thought they really were good i'm surprised they haven't been used in other games the raids were particularly I... important you know um but yeah on the other hand um i think it could just do with a new edition i know they instead mm. just made an expansion <laughs> that's twice as big mm. as they re- well I but mean, it's that, massive that, that was okay <laughs> and, and i did enjoy the kind of the like you're saying the kind of the raiding and when people were fighting i quite like the card mechanics using the characters mm. i thought that was really unique um yeah that's cool so I, I don't think i bounced off it per se but i i agree with you in terms of you'd struggle to be like should we play this versus another game because it's such a big box game and it's yeah like quite a commitment it's like four it to is. six hours really aren't you looking at and that's with the expansion mm-hmm. i brought to make it quicker and, and actually the expansion the one i brought i think it's called feast of crows gave you um objectives to to do rather than the normal game is just capture ta- uh, the uh, castles and um apparently mm-hmm. that can go on for a very long time as pe- obviously anyone gets near to capturing the right number of castles everyone kind of stops them uh, whereas this is, I guess, it has a bit more definitive ending because people are constantly getting victory points that total up. So there's all there is mm. hopefully going to be a winner, and because you don't know what other people's objectives are, unless you know the game really well um, and you can guess it, which is you know not not us. Um, it's really hard to, to actually block them, you know. So mm. I felt like that part was really good. So th- there was definitely some good parts, but I, I guess wonder it's probably like a once a year that. <laughs> game might come out you know if you're feeling a bit nostalgic for some game of thrones and you know so not a bad game but possibly not good enough in the current like some versus some of the other games that we have fair enough are you still burnt from season eight is that what you're saying yeah, yeah really. the game start really, really well <laughs> with so much promise and then the, the last few like turns are just like oh this is crap well, interestingly they actually <laughs> had like the, the expansions i've got those little card packs which go through some of the earlier books and then they just stopped it and i think it would actually be quite interesting if they release more so you can you kind of want to play again because you want to reenact a certain part of the story arc Mm. and you know maybe even do the final one and they did release the didn't like daenerys kind of uh dragon expansion where you have what was it what's it is it what's it the i can't remember what it is but over the sea yeah where all the Dothraki come from Essos. yeah it's basically got a big map and um i i've heard it's actually quite a fun expansion but it is bloody massive and i'm I, for me i'm just like i you know can't justify getting an expansion on a game which i already think is quite clunky i don't really want to add more rules to it and a game that mm. as i said probably won't come out very often either it's not really worth it when that expansion i could buy, actually buy another game instead so you know um yeah a bit of an honorable mention though not a terrible game but you've got to, you've got to <laughs> want a, a bit of an older clunky version of an area control than what you can get elsewhere <laughs> fair mm. point cool Right, I think that probably sums it up, isn't it? Unless you guys have got anything else you want to add? Um, no, not really. I think, you know, in general, I I don't think I 
I'm pretty receptive when it comes to games, and I do give them their fair shout mm. and play through before I make judgment on them. I think the few that I've mentioned here are just ones that have re- I've really struggled to engage with, and it's because I think I've expected so much of the theme, um, or I've, I felt the gameplay should reflect my perception of what the theme should kind of play out with, and, yeah. and they haven't. Um, what about yourselves? Uh, oh, actually, I know. I have one final thought. Actually, is uh, something like, I mean, not necessarily. I probably would play Dead of Winter again, but I mean, anything with a betrayal mechanic can get fucked. Basically. I hate that. <laughs> wow, well, 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 you know, that's like that's in, a lot of games, Lee. Come on, yeah, no, it is. It, it is. I, it, I'm just not very good at lying. If I am <laughs> the one who is doing the betraying, I'm not. I've not got a very good poker face, and I find I don't like being put at a disadvantage for something that is out of my control like if it's part of the game rules and there's a reason that you're at a disadvantage that's fine but because it's a disability is the wrong you know what i mean it's, i've got an inability <laughs> to lie wow yeah. <laughs> too truthful no, wrong because way, I, wrong because way. i'm not very good at lying which is a quality that is outside of the game's rules mm. i'm immediately it was, it was at a disadvantage. not really i think it is in the game's rules though i think you just have to see it as like it's social deception like they're social deception games right and but that's... then yeah but then that means immediately i'm a you know, effectively, it's discriminating against someone who's not very good at lying because, oh yeah, you can't play this game because you're not very good at hiding the fact that you might be a betrayer. And it's like, well, have you ever played that? A- immediately puts me on the back foot. Have you ever played a- you know? Avalon? The res- or the Resistance, uh, the one with Merlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yes. I have. I actually don't mind that one because uh, then again, I haven't actually been the thieves in or whatever right, okay, criminals. Yeah. I've only been I've been Merlin and I've been like. You know, one of the good guys. Yeah. I think so. I've not played it enough to judge, but that one's slightly different because it's not betrayal in the sense of I'm going to pretend to do all of this stuff with you, and then stab you in the back. Mm. I mean, there probably is that in there. I don't know the game well enough to say either way, but that one I, I can't pass judgment yet. I've not played it enough. It's, it's quite yeah. quick as well. I would say. Yeah. So, like for when you are the betrayer, it's over pretty quickly. You can get onto the next round. Whereas, Which, yeah. yeah, it's quite like Dead of Winter. You can go on a bit. Um, yeah, because I've had a game where um, I've had some amazing games of Dead of Winter where the I think the betrayer mechanic can really add to the tension because everyone's got their own secret objectives anyway, and so mm. everyone's kind of not totally uh, cooperating or altruistic. They've got their own agenda, which I really enjoy. But obviously, one person may or may not, because it's it's random, be a betrayer as well. I have had a game though where it, it's kind of gone. It was going on for a bit, and I was betrayer, and I basically, I felt really bad in the sense that the team were really struggling. They just about getting somewhere, and then I just completely screwed them over, and it kind of ended on a bit of a flat note. And I think since then, um, we played it. Did you feel it. good about it though, Darren? Like no, you? No, no. I actually often, often <laughs> I because I, 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 I think Darren's I was like, yes, yes, normally. I won. <laughs> Flips the board like yes. <laughs> I was the betrayer. I did it. I did it. Yes. Took below the photos of everyone. Yeah. Me. No. Yay. And it's like, let's get a selfie, guys. Like, I win. Yeah. <laughs> Best game ever. But um, no, actually, that, I mean, well, I played it lots of times and had fantastic results. But that one, for some reason, just felt a bit bitter. I think they all said, like, if you're going to be a betrayer, just get it over and done with. Because there are mechanics where the betrayal can then go off on their own and still be part of the mm. game. But I guess it's a bit more open and a bit more um, you feel like you know where the lines are. And I suppose 
because it's a it's a game where you've got to really make that decision, that call yourself as a betrayer. And the other option is that you don't have the betrayer in it at all, and that's totally fine. You can play it like that. And I guess the game does lose a little in some ways, um, but not a lot. And I think for the right for a certain crowd, betrayer is going to be really, really exciting, and they're going to love it. And like we did have a lot of fun because uh, just about every game, someone will accuse me of being a betrayer, even regardless, <laughs> probably because of every time I have been a betrayer, I've been pretty brutal. <laughs> but, but yeah. you know, like, um, and that's sort of the fun side of it in some ways. And you're trying to, desperately to prove that you're good, <laughs> like, even mm-hmm. though, you know, even if you're not a betrayer, like people are mistrusting you and things like that. Whereas if you said, hey, there's no betrayer in this one, then you'd lose that. And I guess it just comes yeah. down to the group, whether you think they want the drama and the suspicion versus and the sort of the social deduction side of it versus and the sort of seeing people's characters, I suppose, <laughs> to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, I, to, to be honest, I think as well, like I, I think <laughs> the games that I remember where Lee, you were the betrayer, I think. I, I think that maybe the sour taste is that like as soon as we started the game, I think someone went, Lee, you're the betrayer, aren't you? You just couldn't hide it. So for the entire yeah. game, we pretty yeah. much knew you were the betrayer from the get go. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's I, I do agree. I guess it's it's a challenge. I, I like that mechanic. I like the kind of social bluffing and being able to be like, no, nah, I'm on your side. Yeah, I'm completely fine. Like, I'm yeah, I wish guys, I was you know? good at that. I really do. I, I think I probably would enjoy it if I was good at it. But just because I'm not, it immediately puts me... I feel like I'm at a disadvantage and it kind of just leaves it, like you say, a sour taste. I just feel like, oh, I'm not going to enjoy this then because I can't lie. Yeah, I mean, there's always halfway houses as well where you could say anyone who's not comfortable with being a betrayer will exclude you from being a betrayer whilst drafting. <laughs> from, like, it's from fun. playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, go, go play Monopoly. <laughs> you know, but you can do that. Or, or probably more yeah. e- easiest is just to say there's no betrayer because the game works perfectly fine without it. And for, in fact, I think I can't remember the exact odds now, but there's it's it's probably only uh, you know it's not it's not definite. Every game will have one regardless, so it obviously works well without you know. And if if anything, I will say about Dead of Winter, a bit of a tangent, but the new ver- newer version, uh, the Long Night, I think it's called. Um, it's just a better version of the original game. If if I've played both oh, really? now, and it's the original game with optional modules, which are not necessarily needed but they are fun that you can add in and you may as well have them because you just don't have the option in the original game but everything else you know the is probably just a bit better i would say and um if if you, if you were going to pick one or the other up i'd go for the newer version that add that it's built as expansion but it's 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 um it's totally playable on its own and the interesting thing is there's a third expansion where if you have both the of the sort of core sets, the old and the new one, you can actually have colonies that fight each other in real time somehow. Mm. And I'm like, that that would be an epic okay. gaming day of really dicking each other over where you're like going raiding <laughs> their colony and stuff like that. I, I actually don't know the specific game mechanics, but it sounds like it's proper Walking Dead kind of, you know, two colonies fighting against the resources and kind of raiding and stuff like that so it, it's really highly social and sounds quite fun to be honest if you can get enough people to play it <laughs> sounds good sounds cool. cool 
Uh, have we got anything else we want to add, or should we? Because we are running long. Mm. Wow. This yeah, is really I mean, an hour. honorable mention. I mean, I won't go into it. Zombicide never really sat with me. Felt like I was playing through the motions. Mm. Very little tactics. Um, but I, I feel like if I, it, we could, we could surface loads of games. But I feel like broadly speaking, we've kind of covered. Uh, the majority of games that have been uh, so, Zombicide is an interesting yeah. one though because it's so popular. It's amazingly popular. And they've just—is it going to be like reskins as much as Monopoly at this rate? It's like—it's crazy. The, the game itself is a shambling corpse yeah. <laughs> that's propped up by many, many miniatures. No, I don't know. I—I I, I get what you're saying about Zombicide. It's—it's insanely popular, but it, it's all right. But there are better games, I think. Interesting. Wow, what a bumper episode. I cannot believe how long we've just spoken for. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, We are, if you are looking for us, we are now on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher and SoundCloud. Never even used Stitcher. Have you used Stitcher before, Lee? Well, yeah, I upload the stuff to it. (laughs) Good good that you're on it because I've never used Stitcher before. Um, If you're looking for us, please search for The Average Gamers and look for our retro 80s style logo with the pink writing. Lots of people copied us. You know, we were the original uh, users of that style. OG, OG. Um, If you're looking for us on the socials, you can find us on Instagram. Uh, We are The Average Gamers. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Average Gamers Podcast. We are on Twitter, at Average underscore Gamers. Or if you fancy the snail version of uh, contacting us these days, please use email. That's averagegamerspod at gmail.com. We don't take mail, uh, unfortunately, due to the coronavirus. But uh, if you do want to send us a letter in the future, then maybe I'll give you Lee's personal contact details so you can send him things in the post. You won't be using mine. Anyway, uh, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.